0: So let me just pray. Father, I pray in these moments that we have, and as character comes in a moment to share as well, I ask God that you would take these words and just teach us a little bit more about what you want to do here in community. And it's not my desire that we come away with a, with a deeper intellectual grasp of something. It's my desire, God, that our hearts would be touched by your love and by what it means to be connected to people the way that you wanted us to be connected and that you are doing here. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. I was listening to a podcast by a guy named Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell, and it's called "Revisionist History," And he is the author of a number of books that you may have heard of, a book called "Tipping Point," the one called "Outlier Blink." There's a number of books. But um, Gladwell had a guest on this podcast. He was a 98-year-old Mennonite minister. Now, Mennonites are Anabaptists. They actually go back all the way to the Reformation, the times of Luther, Calvin, and, and Zwingli, and that whole group. And Anabaptist basically is the word Anna, which means to re. It's to re-baptize. They believed in baptizing again because in that time, in that culture, everyone was mostly through the Catholic Church, was infant baptized. But they believed as they read scripture that baptism was to happen when you became a believer in your, your own faith. And so that was something that they believed, but What was interesting is They became the most persecuted group of people The Anabaptists did In that time They were persecuted not only by the Catholic Church But by the Lutheran and by Calvin and all the rest I mean actual wars You talk about religious wars today They were wars And so these Mennonites come from that Kind of part of the family tree And this 98 year old Mennonite minister Chester Wanger Had written a letter Just a year or so before that to the Mennonite church community and he wrote it with regard to the church and to family, faith, scripture and Jesus and there's only about 8,000 Mennonites that are scattered throughout North America so not a large group so that when over 230,000 people had read this Gladwell took notice, read it was moved to tears and decided he wanted to interview this guy and Gladwell asked him, this 98-year-old, did you anticipate this letter going viral? Well, you know, he wrote the letter. Someone put it on, and he looked at him rather confused, Wanger did. And he said, viral, how does a letter get a virus? <laughs> Remember, he's no social guru at 98 of the social media. But in his podcast, he began to explain the eth- the, kind of the ethos of, 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 of the Mennonite way, And they were quoting a theologian named Palmer Becker, and he talks about three statements. And as I listen to these three statements, they fit so well, which is kind of the ethos or what we call the pillars or what we're asking people, like if you come in and you go, what do you want me to do here? We're asking you to do three things. We're asking you to worship together and also in a lifestyle. We're asking you to be in community with others, even your enemies, Jesus said. Be in community with others and then be in community in a smaller community where you grow with one another, and then we're talking about service. And we are called to serve this West Metro, we're called to serve one another. Everybody here who has um, asked Jesus to, to lead their life and to, to save them from their own sinful lifestyle has said is given the spiritual gift to serve. So we say for those three things, and here's the three statements that he said, and it's kind of been the foundation of the three messages that we're talking about. If we're centered in these three things, they will make a huge difference. And the first is Jesus is the center of our faith. That's what we worship. Jesus is the center of our faith, centered in Jesus. Community is the center of our lives. Community is the center of our lives. And then they say the third, which I I really like. Reconciliation is the center of our work. Why do we serve? Why do you do a Lima 5K? Why do you go out on a serve day and pick up garbage in the park or whatever it's got to do? It's because deep down we want people to know that they are reconciled because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we want people to know that kind of love and that kind of relationship where they understand what was just sung when we sang, make me brave. God isn't against you. He deeply loves you and he's for you. And he just wants you to walk with him and let him begin to work in your heart and life. Well, Gladwell makes this comment. It's hard to explain how seriously the Mennonites take these things, Jesus, community, and reconciliation. And then he goes on and he speaks specifically about community and moves into talking about community for a while. He says they find community to be such an important thing that they don't use the word community in a metaphorical way like most of us. You know, you think about community in in, in communities that we use it in a metaphorical way, such as we say, oh, I am maybe of the community of journalists. or, Or I am in the community of those who are aging. Or we might say something like that, I'm in the community or the, or the business community. Those are kind of metaphorical ways. You're kind of attached to it. A lot of people do that with church. I am in, you know, where do you go? Oh, I'm, I'm kind of a part of the community at YZ Free, or whatever it may be. And it's about so thick and deep, and it's about what your own commitments might be to it. But the Mennonites, when they use community, it's a much more serious thing. This man, Wanger, goes on to explain. And at one point, Gladwell talks about his own experience. He was a person who was raised up in a community. His father was a Presbyterian college professor up in some community in Canada, which was surrounded by Mennonites. And he goes on to tell a little bit about his father's story. He talks about how his father would watch these Mennonites, and and he would hear a line again and again, this Presbyterian college professor, kind of white-starched, collar and he'd hear the line again again we're in this together we're all in this together that's what he heard from the Mennonite community and began to see it displayed now some of them you won't like for instance he would talk about in a Mennonite community one of the things they do they are so convinced that you need to give a portion of your income to the church to the Mennonite community they would say 10% is what the bible has to say that you had within a Mennonite community because we're all in this together you had the ability as a person attending to ask one of your neighbors who may be a Mennonite to open up their books to see if they're really doing that we're going to do that We like that No, just kidding <laughs> But the thing that really stirred Gladwell's father's and mother's life Was when they watched them do barn raisings He said it was so amazing They would come together They would spend a day or a couple of days Everyone would bring food Everybody They were all in this together They would build this barn And the barn would be done And they would set this family off In a direction And they would support it And they would help it he tells one story he says that was really interesting he said there's, two, there's three Mennonites who lived um, as neighbors to one another and in the middle is a guy who at a certain point sold his house to another person who wasn't a Mennonite so you have these two neighbors who are Mennonites a new guy comes in and the guy's talking with the two guys and he just shares yeah my septic system was no good to, um, and they knew that this guy who was the Mennonite who lived there before knew the septic system was no good and they were like I mean he didn't tell you, you no know, and what did it cost you? He said $12,000 to replace it. And uh, the one guy standing next to him, neighbor, says, well, I'll give you $4,000 because what he did isn't right and he goes to our church. And the other guy on the other side says, I'll pick up the rest. He goes to our church and it isn't right what he did to you. They covered it. Now you're waiting for a punchline. There isn't any. The community is the center of their lives. And they live by this truth. We're all in it together. Eventually, Gladwell says that his Presbyterian parents joined the Mennonite church because they saw this community. And his brother actually married a Mennonite pastor. And Gladwell makes this note. He says, And I suspect that the sense of community is why. There's something beautiful about this type of belonging so if we're serious about Christ being the center of our faith and worship being important and you heard that last week we didn't do a message on it we let people lead in worship and share why they wanted to worship and I've heard from so many people what an incredible service that was today we want to talk about community so if Christ is the center of our faith community we're talking about what does it mean for it to be the center of our lives? What does it mean for us to say we're all in this together? How do we move from a, if you look at just kind of over here, a, a metaphorical meaning of, oh yeah, I'm a part of why is that a free community? How do we move, at least push the needle a little bit further to deeper community where we're more, more fully engaged, where we say we're in this together? How do we become a people where when someone is looking in and they look at this community and they look at your community maybe that you're a part of and they go, wow, there's something beautiful, there's something attractive. The very lives that you are living in some spiritual way is changing the atmosphere of those who are looking in and they're being drawn to Christ. Well, the first thing I want to talk about is this. That as you read the Word of God, you look at the life of Christ, you look at the very nature of God, one of the things you'll find is community isn't, op- it isn't an optional thing. It isn't an optional thing. When we talk about worship, there's ways to do it. We talk about worship, we come together, we seek to do this on a Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday basis, and, and yet we also ask people to live worshipful lives every day. Well, one of the ways and strategies we believe that can help make this happen is by community breaking down into smaller groups. We really believe that when people get close to one another and share their lives with one another, something really powerful can happen. And so as you look at just the Bible and and you look at the things that you read in the Word of God, you'll find this, first of all. The Trinity, God, we speak of God, and God is a Trinity, and there's an important reason why we believe the doctrine of the Trinity is really important. Why is there one essence, God, who has revealed himself in three persons? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people will say, Oh, those are three different gods. No, they aren't. They're one essence, but they're but this God is revealed in three different persons. And this is so important to understand the reason because community is you look at the very nature of God and the structure of reality, it's eternal. You see it in the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is something that is that is of essence. It is not some kind of thing, this latest, greatest fad that churches might be doing. It's not something that you go, well, that would be nice to do that. But if you look at God himself, you see that he relates to himself as a community. There was so much love within him, he wanted to share that love. And out of that comes his creation, and he shares his love with others because he wants to be in community with you and me. So you look at the Trinity and you go, boy, okay, the very structure of reality, the essence of God is community for eternity so, it says something about what it means for you to be in community. If you look at the life of Jesus, just look at the life of Jesus for a second. You find Jesus, one of the first things Jesus does in the Gospels, think about it. What is one of the first things he does? He looks for some other people and he calls them to himself. He brings 12 people around him and he walks with these 12 people. These 12 people have about 80 to 120 walking around with him throughout his itinerant ministry. And they will they will minister to the masses. But what was really incredibly important, and, and there's, there's some theological significance to the number 12 and the governmental authority and things such as that, but what's more important than that that I want you to understand is that he lived his life with these other people day in and day out. They ate together. They spent time together. They laughed together. They lived their life. They shared their life. Because he knew how important community was. Do you know that in in the Gospels, never does Jesus say, go to church. But you know what he often talks about? He talks about being in a family. Because... The kind of family that he was inviting you into The whole reason you see um, Israel And, and then it being birthed out Is they were, to, they were to bring people into God's family A spiritual community The most important family When we were young Is our biological family But he says the most important family That you will have for the rest of your life Is your spiritual family Now I know some of you probably didn't grow up In ideal biological families Correct Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. That's not but at one point, Jesus, as he's teaching, he looks out and he, and he, and he sees these disciples, his followers around him and they're, they're listening to him as he speaks and he sees his, his sisters and his brothers and his mother standing there and they're coming to get him because they're a little worried about his, it looks like he's doing some crazy things and at one point he looks at them and he says this incredibly important thing because you've got to understand this was a tribal society the so family, clans were really, really, really important he looks out and he goes um, who are my sisters, brothers, and mother? and they're probably going us in the back and he looks at these groups and he says you are my sisters, my brothers, and my mother if you do what I say What God wants to do is to place us in spiritual communities where we learn to live and to grow and to challenge and to develop together. Look at Acts in the very early church. Um, You find that as it starts out, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It's the first statement that you have of the church. He says to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I think I have a slide on that if you... No, we don't, okay. So, And then he goes on and he says, And all believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is the very first church. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. You get this kind of idea that they were hearing teaching and they were together in the courts, but what they did is they broke down into smaller homes. Do you know the first church structure that you find in archaeology doesn't occur to almost 300 A.D. You know all the churches, you know where they met? Men' homes. Part of it was the persecution, part of it was they didn't have the funds, or if they did have the funds, they, they, they started out as being people who were little families who were meeting in a sense in homes together because community is that important it's not optional it's something it calls you to I could go on and on First Corinthians 12 Paul makes the uh, uh, he gives us analogy that we're like a body every one of us together the kind of interconnectedness the interrelatedness we should have is like when you stub your toe right everybody suffers in your body right there is that sense or if you taste something really good your whole, whole body lights up you could look at through the New Testament and there's 59 times or so the words one another are used because the whole writing of the New Testament is to people who are meeting together in these small communities so we're going to talk about community and I'm going to ask Erica to come up she's a pastor in in our whole connecting and and community and I'm grateful for what you are doing working with um, Irv and Nancy Tang to develop our whole small group ministry and and I thought we'd get really practical right now and and just ask that question Um, what are five steps of commitment you can make so that we can just you know push the, the 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 needle of metaphorical to genuine authentic community over this direction and how do we do that and how can you do that and and i'm going to share with you five things sign up this is gonna be really easy okay sign up show up grow up trying to remember here pay up and we'll get into that uh and then invite in so I, I forgot the up on the last one. Invite in. Uh, so the first is sign up, and because we're all in this together, I want to first talk about this as a corporate sense. Yeah. Okay. And Karika, thank you for coming up and doing this. Thanks for having Appreciate me. it. Thank you. Um, were you nervous?
1: Yeah, I'm still nervous. Okay. Just okay. For the record. Hey. Thanks,
0: guys. Sure, love. Would you? Well. So the first thing I want to talk about is, corporately, as a church body, sign up. What does it mean? What I want us to be thinking about, and the elders are going to be kind of wrestling with, is what does it mean for us as a church to move from from being maybe a church that has small groups to a church of small groups? And, And we're going to lean into that. And that's one of the things I'm going to encourage you as a church family to be praying about. What does it mean for us to actually make a commitment that says, we're not just going to have some small groups, but we're going to be a church of small groups. For that to happen, we got to talk about this individually. So, Kareka, why don't you um, take a moment and just share your thoughts on this, and and, and how do you think we do this as a church?
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, we can't just snap our fingers and make community happen for you guys, but what we can do is we can help create a space for the potential of community to happen. And, I mean, we all know we live in a super fast-paced, instant gratification, non-committal world, Right. So the community that we're designed to crave, that we are created for, it's not just going to happen for us, unfortunately. Uh, We can't be, it's going to take like true commitment for us. We can't be one foot in, one foot out.
0: So that sounds really good. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of young families here and, and there's people who live really busy lives, whether you have a young family or not, right? How many retire and think things, oh, you got all kinds of time? Yeah, it just doesn't happen, right? We know how to fill our lives up with stuff and with things to do So you have been committed to this both you and your husband Joel have been committed to this You have two kids. You have two full-time jobs Um, How does this work?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question Um, Joel and I we firmly believe that you can get places together that you just can't get to on your own Uh, And we're not just talking about the two of us in marriage. So we believe that You can just hear things, receive feedback, and even experience God in ways that you can't without close, tight knit community like you find in a small group. And so, we've been married for eight years, like you said, um, and at every single stage, we've had to make small group a priority. Like, we've had to make it a priority. It didn't just happen. Um, So before kids and when Jameson was an infant, we had a little bit more flexibility. And so that meant that we were able to drive across town for small group after work. But then once we had a second kid and our kids started having set schedules, um, life just started filling up. And so we found it easier to host small group in our own home. So we started doing that. And there have been some seasons in life where we've had the capacity to be small group leaders. And then there have been other seasons where all it was just to get there consistently was was like that was what we could do you sign
0: up and you move to our next one you just show up Yep. so you you signed up and said I'm going to be a part of it I'm committed to doing it I'm going to make it a priority of my life but the second one sounds kind of like a no brainer just show up it's this idea that attendance is important um, because if you're not meeting on a consistent basis and you kind of plug in once in a while, you don't develop the kind of depth of relationship and community that's necessary. And I've been a part of groups where, when they don't, you know, we don't make that a commitment and a priority, you don't show up. And and it says in Hebrews ten twenty five a very interesting verse because again, remember, he's talking to people who are meeting in homes. Mm-hmm. He he makes this statement. He says, "Do not neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Encourage one another." And even more in the light of the, the day of visitation, this coming of God. It's like the dawn. It's like the light's coming up. It's happening. So be connected with one another as we move into this time. Be committed. But you know, showing up is one thing, but when I talk about showing up and I talk about it when groups that I lead with guys, I, I talk about more than just being consistent and showing up. I talk about showing up with what's going on in your life. A lot of times, like in staff or in other places, we'll do what we call check-in. It's kind of what's current what what's happening in your heart i want to know a little bit more about who you are and what's going on and so we look at show up it's not just being consistent in attendance which is one of the sign up commitments but the other is to kind of come and say i will commit myself to be vulnerable transparent Mm -hmm. i'm going to open my life so you can get to know it A, a place and it's not to be a place where you go and fix other people Okay, we we kind of go well, you know. You you ever been in those kind of places where you tell your story and everyone also and everyone's trying to figure out how to fix you? <laughs> it's really a place to show up and let the Holy Spirit do that kind of work and, and, and come around people. So I I know that you've experienced this um, in, in your own life. Uh, my wife Grace and I. Um, have experiences on a number of different occasions in our life at times in our own marriage when we really needed people around us and today we still meet with people and a a few couples where we we just open up our lives when we go through a difficult time um, where we just kind of say here's what's going on and it's amazing it's amazing to do life where you don't feel alone where other people hear you and when you hear them talk with one another you go whoa That's kind of how I've been thinking, and that doesn't sound really right. You know what I mean? You fix yourself almost as you hear what's going on. So why don't you share with us a little bit of how this has worked in your and Joel's life?
1: Yeah, so I think that it's a lot easier for us to recognize um, when just, like, our knockoff version of community isn't going to cut it anymore when we go through real weighty hardships in life. Because that's when we realize, like, oh, I can't do this on my own. Um, And so that's when we see that, you know, the knockoff versions of connection just... We need more than that. So for us what this is, looks like, um, between years two and five of our marriage Joel and I went through some really really hard stuff and I mean it was just the crappiest season. We saw things, or I saw things in our marriage and things in myself that I didn't even know had the potential to be there when we first got married. But the reason that we're really happily married today, truly each other's honest to goodness favorite person, is because God pursued us through other people. Hmm. Specifically through our small group. So I just want to paint a picture of what that looks like for me. Um, I was in a season where it took everything in me just to get through each day without taking my own life. Uh, Joel traveled for work, which um, he's done for most of our marriage. And we had our first son, Jameson. He was two years old. And I worked full time at the time. And I ended up getting to this spot in life where um, I actually renounced my faith. I decided I couldn't do Christianity anymore, and I totally peaced out. And so that was a good three-month period. Peaced out
0: means you gave up? Yeah, completely. I gave up. Okay. I was just
1: like, I Just interpreting I for us uh, yes. in baby
0: <laughs> Okay, no. I checked
1: out. I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. I just am getting through the motions. Um, yeah, so that was a good three-month period um, in there for me. And every single day... like i 'm not exaggerating every single day someone came over. Our friends took turns uh, to come and babysit me because i couldn 't be uh, by myself some of joel 's best guy friends they would stop over they 'd take time out of their work day to stop over just to check in on me or on their way home from work if Joel was traveling they 'd bring me food. Um, I had like five girlfriends who flew in from out of state. They drove in from out of town and they were with me. They literally took shifts to make mm-hmm. sure for three whole months. Um, they would hang out with Jameson, they cooked cook me food to make sure I would eat, they'd drive me to my doctor appointments to make sure I would go. Um They would sit there while I would scream and cry at them for not leaving me alone because I was just so angry. Uh, They did all of that. And so when Joel was even home, our small group, they would come together and they'd pool their money. And at this time, we were all like super, super broke. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they'd pool their money and they'd give us a gift card um, to force us on a date. And then they would watch Jameson.
0: So this is what I call moving the needle way over here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's, that's I think what God wants people to experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, for three months, I was never alone. And so to your point about fixing, mm-hmm. never did they judge me. Never did they ask me to be someplace that I wasn't. Uh, they were my small group. And for that season, they were my only line to hear God's voice. Like that was it. And they loved me fiercely because Jesus had loved them fiercely. Mm-hmm. It was just an all hands on deck season. Yeah.
0: So sign up, show up in the next grow
1: up. Yeah. Yep, so naturally, we can't just say, okay, yeah, I'm checking the box, I'm going to be in small group, and then, okay, now I'm going to come. We actually have to make an intentional effort to say, I want um, Jesus to change me. And so I think that's something we have to keep in the forefront of our minds, is that we, unfortunately, don't naturally drift toward holiness, right?
0: Speak for yourself.
1: (laughs) Okay, other than Kevin, uh, (laughs) yes, we don't naturally drift toward holiness. Um, And we need people that will keep pushing and pulling us in that direction. And I say people, plural, because no one person can do this for you, not even your spouse. Um, We think that small group, it's not just valuable because it's a great place to meet super fun people and build friendships. But small group's invaluable because it's a group of people that are committed to coming together and doing just that to grow together in understanding of the Bible, um, the relationship with God, emotional health, all of it, the whole thing.
0: So I love what you had to say there because it is really true. There's a couple of things when, when we were going through this and you wrote some words down and I was reading this. I went, wow, that's really good. And you asked me why did I make embolden some of the things yes, you wrote because yes. some of them I just go, it's so true. We do not drift into holiness. And, and here's the other thing I think is really critical in this and you see it in the word of God. You, you get pulled into holiness one, by an intentional choice but by putting yourself in relationship to other people who help draw you into it who help lead you into it who support you and help move you into it and what's really important when I think about growing up and what, what can happen so, so often, so some of you might could even actually roll your eyes about small groups, I mean I, I can tell you I heard of a small group they had met for 13 years and then a Couple in it got divorced, and a number of the people in the small group had no idea anything was happening in their marriage hmm. because what can happen is we don 't drift into holiness, but you know what these small groups can drift into' is just social close yeah and, and we 're not about that. this is not trying to get together and oh hey how you doing with yeah. this bunch of friends. Uh, you can go do book clubs, there's a lot of good things you can do like that, but the word of God, if you read the word of God, I want to get up and start preaching really hard here, okay, the word of God, when you read it, you have to read it in the context of, of Paul and others writing to people who were in small groups, who were in homes so that when Paul says to this small group that was meeting in a home in a town called Colossae, he says let the word of Christ dwell on you ritually, so one of the things that's really important is that you get God's word you begin to digest it and you do it with other people, he says let the word of Christ dwell." in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom isn't that interesting they didn't say as your teacher teaches you but as you teach one another because God has placed in you things that other people don't understand yet yeah. you have experienced some things that others need to experience and it does not happen by just coming to a large group and worship like this it's really important this is really important but we also talk about community and community. As we start looking at this as a church, as we begin to work through it with the elders and with others in leadership, we're really going to ask ourselves, are we forming groups where people are coming in, where the word of God is beginning to dwell in their hearts and they're beginning to help one another to not just sign up, we don't want to just sign up, but to show up, no, not just to show up, but to grow up, make an intentional choice that in this group we're going to challenge one another. To move and grow. I don't know if you have something you want to say around that.
1: Yeah, so when Joel and I first got married, um, we made a commitment to each other, just one. Uh, And this was really important to us. And that was, we wanted to walk through life in such a capacity that at the end of our life, when we would see God hand in hand, um, we could know that we could look at the other and say, um, they are more like Jesus because of how God used me in their life. So not more like us, and not more like what would make life easier for us, though that'd be nice. um, But just more like Jesus. And so small group is a place of people that are doing just that. Just like Kevin said, um, something that's so cool about our small group is that we've just come to expect, it's a normal expectation with our group of friends, that they're going to give us honest feedback about um, everything. Because Mm -hmm. they can see things that we can't see, right? Like things in parenting, parenting. Things in our own marriage dynamics, and it's so helpful, even though at times it's a little um painful. But it, since it's become a normal part, we can now expect um that they're gonna say, Hey, that was kind of a jerk thing for you to do, Kirkha. um, or <laughs> like oh, yeah, they totally call us out. Like, do you see how that maybe affects your child? Like, um, but also they see the good things too, so it's the good and the bad,
0: yeah. So tell us a little bit about if you know we talk about we need to sign up I encourage you when I say this I'm asking if you're not in a small group or you're in a small group that needs to develop and grow please talk to Kirika or Irv or Nancy or George or myself or any one of us Um, so sign up you need to show up you need to grow up but what does pay up mean what what do we mean by
1: that so this is my favorite point Um, because I think I've experienced this I've had people who have um, taken me in throughout my life and they've paid a they've paid a price uh, because I've experienced it It just matters so much to me. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the point of even being the church, right? Like, what are we doing? And the Bible thankfully tells us we're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to be people um, who other people look at and they say, oh, she follows Jesus or he follows Jesus. And then we're supposed to go make more disciples. And so the good news is that Jesus tells us what it looks like to be like him. And he says, I want you to love other people in the same way that I loved you. And it cost him everything. So we can't fool ourselves into thinking that it's not going to cost us everything. So for Joel and I, what this has looked like um, is that more often than not in our eight years of marriage, we've had someone living with us for most of that time. Uh, it's also looked like cleaning up after someone when they're sick with the flu. You're
0: uh, not just talking about your kids here.
1: Nope, I'm not. <laughs> I'm talking about grown adults, people, okay? <laughs> um it's looks like making food for them and dropping it off, or Joel and I having to um, figure out our schedules and go down to one car for a week so that someone else um, can use our other car, or watching their kids while they go on a date, things like that. Um, it looks like staying up till 3 a.m., talking to someone, and this happens, I would say, pretty frequently for us, um, just to let our friends know, like, you're not alone, you're not in this alone, I'm here for you, and even though it's going to cost me, um, that's what I want. And so... As I was thinking about this point, there were a couple things that stood out to me. And the first is that the cost is super high, but there's also an indescribable gain. Because it's not just our life that's changed by having community. It's our kids' lives too, right? So by modeling that community is invaluable to us, we rest assured knowing that our kids aren't going to grow up um, in some brand of Christianity that falsely adapts to our individualistic culture here in America. Uh, they see what it takes. They see how many times people are around. They see our friends call us out on things. Um, they know that it takes effort to be transparent and that um, it's going to take sacrifice. And so my last, my last thought... Is that a few weeks back, I was talking with um, my best friend, and we were just processing through um, why our day was so hard. And at the end of the conversation, she turned to me and she said, Thank you so much. And I was like, I didn't even do anything for you. Like, literally, I just said true things about you. Like, why are you thanking me? And the way that she responded just struck me. She said, No, I think it's more than that. You aren't okay until i was okay and you guys that is jesus christ for us like he wasn't okay until we were okay and it cost him everything every preference like it cost him his whole life it was a love so strong and so fierce that was unconcerned with its own comfort and we want to ask ourselves, we want to be that kind of people that other people look at and they say, man, they don't just love their family that much. They love other people so much that they're unconcerned with their own comfort. And I think that when we get to that point, when we're so invested in other people's stories that we're just compelled to show up, then the price that we pay actually becomes our privilege. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having
0: Thank me share. Thanks, Cara. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. We're at the 1115 mark, but I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I'm just going to share with you something I think is important here, and that's invite in. One of the reasons I've chosen to do this series here in the fall, um, this whole idea of living without fear, is because I believe we live in one of the most anxiety-filled cultures. And there's an epidemic of loneliness. You can be really lonely here. you can even be in a small group, but if you 're your life and there 's things going on that you just can 't share with anyone else, you are there alone and often that happens um, I think' it's really interesting. There were children who were asked uh, this some questions about some really big problems and you know children are really quite literal so they asked them, and i'll just share a few of them i got these from my friend john orper and he says they were they were told that that telling people things like that smoking is bad for them just doesn't work so they asked him what would you do to help them quit and here's what a kid's response was alexis who was eight said go to a smoker's house pretend to smoke and die <laughs> that might make you quit man i don't know it's a good idea or another one they asked, too many people spend hours in a job where they're unhappy and, and uh, what would you give their boss for suggestions? Andrew agent, and I said, pay them double, have a big tickling machine for unhappy workers. <laughs> but the toughest problem, here's the toughest problem. With billions of people in the world, someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely. Right? What would you do? What would you suggest? Claudia age eight said people should find lonely people and get their name and address and then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address and when you have enough on either side assign lonely people and not lonely people together in the newspaper which is a administrative little kid at a young age right (laughs) max age nine says make food that talks to you when you eat (laughs) so as you eat it it says how are you doing today with billions of people in the world someone should figure out a system where no one is lonely what do you suggest? and 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 John had shared with me some stats that was just staggering and you may have read this in the paper that in the United Kingdom that loneliness has reached epidemic proportions that the Prime Minister Theresa May has literally appointed a minister for loneliness to the captain of the United Kingdom you go that's maybe I can see the UK But in our own country, the former U.S. general, Surgeon General, just wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review, Work and Loneliness, an Epidemic. And he writes that the most common pathology that he saw as a doctor was not heart disease, diabetes, or cancer, it was loneliness. Just people being alone. And that's doubled since 1980, he says, and it's well over 40% of Americans report suffering from loneliness at some significant level, and experts expect that the actual totals are considerably more because people are reluctant to say that they're lonely. More than ever, people are living apart from family and apart from friends, and they're moving to places for opportunity, advancement, money, education, whatever it is. The Attorney General writes, Loneliness can be fatal. It can be worse than smoking 13 cigarettes per day. Loneliness crushes the soul. So with billions of people in the world, somebody should figure out a system where no one is lonely. And guess what? Somebody did. Jesus did. We've been talking about it. Jesus looked at his 12 followers one night and he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. We get real you know, if you get just really right down to it, he's talking to his 12. He's talking to those 12 and he said, I've shown you how to love one another in this kind of a small group setting where you are a community that looks in and and, and you invite people in and just lots of these little communities all around the world. And Jesus' approach was really quite simple. He invited one person to be with him, then another, and then another. There were 12 and it was a really simple solution. So... I'm just going to ask in the close as we go into this song I want you to consider would you consider merely asking one other person this fall to join you in a group if you're not in a group, join one if you're in a group where you're not showing up with more than just attendance but you're not showing up vulnerable take the step, be vulnerable it's really amazing in every group there's some guy who sometimes or some woman who chooses to get vulnerable and the rest of the group gets vulnerable maybe it's you but I'm going to ask you: as we sing the song, as you think about it, as you go home this week and you think about it, we're talking about worship. We we sing, we want to come together and worship. But I want to ask you to seriously consider. Being in a small group and inviting someone. Think about it. The way we're going to reach the world. People say, how do we reach people for Jesus? I can tell you on the street corner, it's not going to work. If you, even if you, you, you can try and convince someone, it doesn't say that. It says, love them, love them, serve them. Think about it. There's someone around you, someone near you that, that just you go, boy, they would probably be really good to meet in a group. Maybe it's a group where we start studying God's word. And then to get connected, that's all we're asking you to do. Think about that. Think about that.